0: Hello and welcome to this, the sixth episode in the second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Ogh McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish Theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And of Of course, this second series is brought to you thanks to the generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. Now, each week, we bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we'll never, ever charge for this podcast, but we are looking for you to put your money into Irish theatre. That's the whole ethos behind this podcast, to support, promote, and celebrate all that's great about Irish theatre. And what we always say is the easiest way to support by going and buying yourself some tickets, whether that's top-price tickets to one of the big houses, some maybe more affordable tickets at one of the fringe venues Uh, maybe have a look around at supporting with some Christmas presents and see if you can buy tickets for shows to family and friends a great one to support is the 24 hour plays in support of DYT Uh, that's going to be happening at the Abbey Theatre it's always one of the best nights out of the theatrical year and it's really supporting a great cause and of course go over and check out one of the crowdsourcing websites the fundit.ie's the Indiegogos to see if there are any theatre projects there looking for assistance donations often start from as low as a fiver and there are always great rewards in return for your support. But of course there are ways you can support without having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast, whether that's in person, over a pint or a cup of coffee. Share the link as a Facebook post or retweet the link on Twitter. The more you get the word out about us, the more we can get the word out about Irish theatre and what's going on. Do go and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes and for those of you not affiliated with the Apple Folk, uh, the podcasts are of course streamable and available for direct download over at riseproductions.ie Do go back and listen to all the other episodes both in this second series and the full 52 from season one. They're well worth a listen. And leave us a review on iTunes if you can or simply click to rate us on their five-star rating system. It's massively helpful for us. You can follow us on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Ireland, and you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. And it's been another great week here at Rise Productions. We're tying up all the loose ends from the end of the tour of The Goodfather, uh, which was just spectacular. Really lovely run. Ten fantastic weeks. So just tying up all the loose ends and bits and bobs. And also we had that massive show at the Borgosh on Sunday with the Christy Hennessy Show, which is just a phenomenal experience to see that place packed to the rafters. Massive standing ovation at the end. Really uh, a very, very special night and one I won't forget in a hurry. And so that brings us to our guest this week, who is none other than the great Jen Coppinger, someone who's been hugely influential in my career. She really held my hand through all the producing end of getting Fight Night off the ground and making it the success it became. And she's had a massive impact on independent theatre generally. She's had a fascinatingly interesting career path so far. And as you'll hear towards the end of the conversation, it's about to get even more exciting still. So look, let's get straight to it. Here she is the brilliant Jane Coppinger. The wonderful Jane Coppinger. How are you?
1: Very well, thanks.
0: I'm so delighted to have you here. Um, So, let us start as we always do. Take me back to the very beginning. Um, Why, how, when, where, why did you think that this was a, a path down which you wanted to go?
1: Well, I've always been a huge fan of stories, like since I was a really young girl knocking around West Cork. And, um... I was really captivated by cinema and TV and watched more TV than any human being probably should as a child. didn't really even realise people walking in the door behind me because I'd be so captivated by probably the second episode of Bosco that day. And um, really, as a teenager, I thought that that love of storytelling would go into working in TV or in film. And that was exactly what I thought I'd do when I was doing my Leaving Cert. And... Then I ended up doing um, philosophy in Trinity. I did uh, the mental and moral science degree there for The four mental years. and moral yeah, science degree. That is what it's called. Amazing. So single honours philosophy for four years. Wow. And I got involved in players in second year. And previous to that, I had seen one play in my life. And that was The Merchant of Venice in the Everman Palace. Uh, and we were all driven up in a bus from Bantry. Of course. It was desperate. Of course. And we came back. And uh, that really didn't make me want to go to the theatre hugely. But I think I started maybe going to Players in about October of second year for me. That so would have been around 1996. And then I pretty much did a secondary degree in philosophy and started being a player all the time. That was kind of what I did in college. Okay. So I feel like I did a degree in producing because that's how I learned what it was. Well, the college version of it, that is. Yes. And that's where I caught the bug. So I worked with a lot of people who still work in theatre, actually. Um, I produced a show uh, that was directed by Peter Crowley. Excellent. And won loads of awards at ISDA. Um, and uh, Leon would be a pal of mine from college. At that time, I produced a show of hers. Um, that was a, a Dorothy Parker piece. Wow! And um, still really close with all of my Players pals, actually. And um, then when I left Players, <laughs> there you go. When I left my college degree, <laughs> um, <laughs> I took a year out and I was doing a bit of stage management. Actually, Gino Dwyer. Uh, directed a really brilliant version of Abigail's Party that was on in the crypt. Remember, the yeah, crypt I remember it well. Castle? So I stage managed that, and there were some really brilliant people in that cast: um, Ross Flannery and Judy Hale and Gail and Gabby and Larry. It was an amazing, amazing cast. Yeah. Um, and then through through that, I got a job in our national theatre in the Abbey. I was a literary assistant there from 2000 to 2001. And I, I guess because I had done a philosophy degree, which is like dead handy for pub conversations, it's not really got a huge amount of practical use. So I thought it would be a good idea to learn a few actual skills that would be helpful for producing. So I did that post-grad in UCD in arts admin.
0: Now, did everybody do that postgrad grad in UCD? I
1: think quite a few, yeah. Now in my year, there wasn't a huge amount of theatre people actually so my best pal from that course is michelle brown and she's a performance artist right so like <laughs> there you go there's a lot of people that came from the kind of heritage end and museum end. okay yeah a- and i loved at, it
0: at the time of choosing to go and do that at that stage had you said right okay let's leave film and tv i mm-hmm. like theater and i like specifically producing rather than directing or performing or anything else
1: yeah i mean i had notions to direct okay and i did set up a theatre company in and around that time after I left college with three other people, Nicola Morris, Gemma Byrne and Miriam Devitt. And Nicola and I co directed a piece called Bold Girls by Rona Munro. Okay. Um and that was on in remember when the mint was Yes off indeed. A, it's kinda of mad, all of these places off Moore Street. Um and we also put it on in Glengarf Hall. There hadn't been a play on there in about thirty years, I think, at the time. Wow. Now, Jeff and um, the Fit Up Festival come there regularly, but uh, so that went on. We had, we had so we we did Bold Girls, and then a year later we did a show called Stop Kiss that was on in back home and Players. Um, but then people wanted to go travelling, and you know weren't as obsessed, I guess, with theatre as I was. So the company dissolved. Our ironically named Eruption disrupted and <laughs> died. Um, and I had kind of uh, figured out that theatre was my preferred medium very quickly into the player's obsession. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, what was your time like on that postgrad course then? Was it very practical? Was it stuff you already knew, just formalised? Or what kind of a, a, what kind of a time bit was it? It was
1: both, yeah. I mean, uh, my, my, act, my time that year was a bit nuts because I used to work in Miller's Pizza Kitchen in Bagot Street. I had a part-time job at the Abbey, so I was doing 20 hours a week there, and a full-time course in UCD. So I was like, I'd wake up at 6am and go, I'm not going to see this room (laughs) for like 14 hours or something. Um, But it was a magical, you know, when you're really busy, it's quite a magical time as well. Um, The course is really, it was very practical when I did it, you know, back in BC. Um, So you did accountancy, and you did marketing, and you did management, and all of those skills that were really useful and for me gave me an awful lot of confidence, I guess. Yeah. Which, which was, you know, I kind of felt a little bit more bonafide at making this choice. And, you know, saying I want to be a theatre producer, it doesn't, it's a bit of an odd ambition to have.
0: Well, it is, and I think it's interesting because it's, for, I mean, just as long as I'm around, that's one thing we've always said, that we need more independent mm. producers. Yeah. Um, that it's where the real, it's where the real kind of gap in the market is and so it means that if ever someone like you or Matt Smith or Gemma Reeves or someone pops Mm. along, they get instantly snapped up.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, Talk to me then a bit about your time at the Abbey then Mm. Um, because you've been juggling the two of those.
1: Yeah, that was crazy. Well, my best pal was for the patch at Stage Door because I was working all the kind of odd hours, so I was in a lot of evenings Um, and I was mad about him and Stephen Dempsey as well. Yes, of course. Three of us were like the the motley crew in at weird times, um. So that was pretty gorgeous. And Judy Freel was the literary manager, and Aidan Howard was the dramaturg at the time. So it was a really great team. Yeah. Um. And I would have been in charge of the unsolicited scripts that came in, sending them out to readers, and, and they come back for from first reading, sending them out for second, and that process. So this is all very handy with my you know, new job next yeah. year. So
0: right the unsolicited script process
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, I'm sure you'll be more kind than others might be I mean others might say that you do have to sift through an awful lot of stuff that wouldn't be great shall mm-hmm. we say but that there is always the possible of, the possibility of finding mm. that diamond I mean what on a practical level do you know 10 pages in if something has a bit of a spark to it or or is it, is it more that you're, kind of, you're, you're always open to that that, that that there might be a gem in here
1: you can? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of have a nose for it and re- I think producing is very gut led anyway and those decisions are and when people go, why did you think that, you kind of have to sometimes say, I just kind of think it, I yeah. can't explain, <laughs> I just think it has that X factor. Um, but with reading the unsolicited scripts, the, there's some organisations, not the Abbey, but UK organisations, they read the first 10 pages and the last 10 pages and wow. that's how they go through scripts. Um for me, I feel that people have taken a lot of time out of their lives to write it. So I can maybe take that extra 50 minutes to read it. So I'd rather read it fully. Yeah. Um, and I have started somewhat in my new role. We've had some new work meetings in the Abbey. So I've been reading quite a lot of scripts since June. Um, and I was also on the panel of, of choosing who the next crop of Rough Magic seeds will be. So I was reading about 20 plays on my holidays earlier this year so you know you can kind <laughs> no of tell off. and actually what's really exciting is that the first kind of in-house production in the Abbey in 2018 is Porcelain which came in through the Unsolicited Scripts
0: which is remarkable so it can happen yeah I mean and I think it is it's a, it's a it is a shining beacon of hope for people out yeah. there kind of going. on if you feel that you know your voice isn't represented out there that there is that there is an avenue there Mm. to get direct to the National Theatre stage which is not bad going at all yeah exactly talk to me then about your route after having done the the postgrad then Mm -hmm. Where, where to next after that?
1: Where to next was, as part of the postgrad, you do a placement and I was really interested in arts offices and what an arts office does and I thought being an arts officer was like a dream job because you get to work across art form. Yeah. So I did a placement under the guidance of Jack Gilligan up in um, Dublin City Council's arts office, which was at the time an old ballroom next door to the Hugh Lane Gallery. I sound like I'm (laughs) a hundred and eighty. This is brilliant, I love it. Yeah Um, and uh, I worked primarily actually in the Dublin Writers Festival uh, both kind of that year which would have been 2000 and then I went back to work there in 2001 with the really brilliant Pat Bourne who's an amazing poet from Leash and an amazing programmer of, of literary events. So that's really where I got interested in l- literature as a kind of, as a public art form. Yes. Where I got into listening to poets read their work, where I became obsessed like many people are with the amazingness of Paula Meehan. um, And where I learnt a lot about how um, fiction writers and poets are, are not that, they're not the same as theater makers. They're different, they're different beasts and how much I loved to be around them. So that kind of began another love of mine that I've been able to work on kind of throughout my career. And after the Arts Office, I went and I ran um, as Programme Coordinator of the City Arts Centre. Yes. So I was doing that for about, sadly only for about six months because it was coming, to, I got the job and then they said, oh, we're actually closing down. So that and those two things weren't necessarily linked. No, I didn't close it out. <laughs> um, so I worked there um, with Sandy Fitzgerald and a number of other people, and I would have helped coordinate the galleries and the, and the theatre. So it does
0: seem that it was quite a broad spectrum mm. and quite a broad focus of different disciplines as though yeah. from fairly early on. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've always been really interested in different art forms, I guess. And it might be because of when you're from a rural part of Ireland, like you really have to seek things out. You have to sniff things out and make a huge effort. Like there's nothing that easy to access. Right. So I think that's why I was always quite curious, you know, and I think that's why I've kind of worked across art form a lot.
0: And how do you find, I guess for you specifically, you personally, how do you find that the different mediums speak to each other or the skill set that you learn and develop through one end of it, whether it's programming or just like dealing with kind of uh, literature and stuff. D- does that transfer back to theatre? Does it, Is it an, another light into the room or?
1: Yeah, it can do. Um, I mean, I suppose to be fair, my my big love has always been theatre, really. Mm. I mean, I didn't know it existed until I was <laughs> 18 or 19. Um, but uh, yeah, they are quite relatable and I guess at the end of the day it's just different mediums of telling a story, whether it's through visual art or through poetry or through literature. So it kind of all comes back to this basic loving stories in one way, shape or form, even if it's disrupting a story.
0: See, I totally agree. I, I see I see myself specifically by see all theatre as a storytelling and I think that's why as a medium it's us as Irish people that we punch above our weight so often mm. in it because that we had that, that strong oral tradition and, yeah. I, and I know people kind of do platitudes and stuff about that but I think it's true I think it's evidenced. I think you can see it oh,
1: well you can certainly see the kind of golden age of of uh, novelists at the moment and the amazing fiction writers that we have and how successful they are I mean it doesn't actually make a lot of sense <laughs> yeah. how many we have yeah. they are so incredible um you know because if I work with with the Arts Council, it's the Lori chip I'm really familiar with it. Mm. Yeah, and and I've met a lot of uh, international colleagues. You know, whether they write for the Guardian or whether they're novelists in a different language other than English, who are like, I don't know what it is about you guys, but something in the water. amazing. Yeah, you
0: know? and and again, I, if you just think in terms of population size, the mm. idea that we are turning out that yeah, many, yeah,
1: we're Birmingham.
0: Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um. Talk to me then about the wonder that is the Irish Theatre Institute. Wow. Uh, when did this wonderful building arrive on your radar?
1: Well, this was after a stint, a short stint in New York. And then I had uh, come back to Dublin and I was working with a guy called Michael Egan up in the South Inner City um, on an organisation called Raid Recovery Through Art, Drama and Education. So I was working with a number of participants who were doing a CE scheme, Community Employment Scheme. Yeah and they were um, primarily methadone users. So we were trying to work with them using different art forms to help them, I suppose, express themselves better, to help their literary skills improve, but also to just have a better sense of self and to be more confident. And you could really see people thrive there, actually. It was a very uh, difficult job in lots of ways and challenging, but probably one of the funniest jobs I've ever had as well, like the gas things that happened to us all as a group um, and at the same time I had known Paula Shields who had been working with uh, theatre shop as it was in the time, at the time and she asked me to come in um, to do a couple of days admin. Remember the Irish theatre handbook? which Yes was like of the yellow pages. Yeah. So I was helping to do admin on that for like two or three days. So Jane kind of I suppose she liked the look of me really in terms of how I worked over that time and when Paula was leaving later on that year Jane uh, approached me and said would you start a three month contract and that would be to work on the theater it was called it was still called theater shop at the time that annual conference yes and it was going to be on in liberty hall and could you start for three months and kind of work up until christmas time and that was in 2000 i have to remember now i think it was yeah 2005 and then I left in 2012. Three <laughs> very long months That's later.
0: fantastic.
1: Yeah. So my role kind of changed within the organisation. The organisation also changed hugely when I was here. We moved from a really small one-room office in South Great Georgia Street above Acapulco to the very beautiful building we're sitting in now Yeah. that I still feel is my home, <laughs> which is lovely. I think a lot of people in yeah. Irish theatre do. Yeah. And then throughout that time... The Mrs Miyagi's that are Jane and Siobhan really taught me um, how to be a good producer and I owe an awful lot to both of them. They've been huge mentors and influences in my life and I think will always be they're my touchstone of good sense. If I'm ever in a pickle, I'm on the phone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And tr- again, you talk about so much about being about a good instinct. Mm trust in their good instinct as well is yeah. probably a pretty safe place to yeah. be too.
1: And they're such a phenomenal duo, mm. you know, I mean, they both have really different skills. And together they're unstoppable, actually. They're, they're dynamite. They're quite a partnership. Yeah.
0: Um, so, talk to me then about your time here or highlights of your time here. I mean, obviously, from my perspective, I'm guessing that the birth of showing a Bag mm-hmm. must have been an important yeah, thing. You, that were, was you really were right at the coalface for that.
1: Yeah, I remember we used to be having meetings here about <laughs> Fight Night. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, yeah, showing a Bag was really gratifying. Six in the Attic was really gratifying as well. And to, to be able to have. Um, I suppose to go from having relationships with people with that were kind of event based only to have like a kind of daily interaction with artists was really exciting. I loved, like, Information Toolbox was my baby that mm. I started. I think it's like 14 years old now, yeah. or something like that. The baby is a teenager. <laughs> um, so that I was really, I continue to be very proud of that event. Um, the theatre exchange went from like one day to a much bigger kind of event when I was here, getting this amazing building in Eustace Street. Um, I also was really lucky because Jane and Chabon, as you can attest for the ama- amazing kind of people that have worked here and where they've gone to since they've left, um, they encouraged me to develop my skills hugely and to develop my network. So I was the person who travelled the most to conferences. Right when I was here. So I went to Adelaide quite a bit to the Australian performing arts market. I would have gone to IETMs in various parts of Europe. I would have gone to Edinburgh a lot. That would have been with either Jane or Siobhan. Um, And so it meant that I, when I left here I had this amazing black book of contacts and people that knew me when I wasn't necessarily making any hard sells ever because my hard sell was, would you like to come to Ireland to see theatre and we might be able to help with your travel. So people loved me, you know, <laughs> they liked meeting me for that reason. But it, it, And also I kind of sat next to Paul Fahey or Lachlan Deegan a lot at these conferences. So it's like hanging out with the Fawns essentially at any event because they're much beloved. Um, So I guess for me, there's so many highlights from my time here, but without sounding too selfish, how I was allowed to grow was really invaluable.
0: Well, that's really interesting for me because I think of the amount of support and the diversity of support that ITI has given to so many, Mm. such a broad spectrum of theatre artists over the years. That. The idea that it was also like simultaneously able to support you to grow like that as well, I think, is remarkable.
1: Greenhouse, yeah,
0: Um, and like you say, when you think about the people who have Mm. come through, it's you know, and and the people who are still working here at the moment. Yeah, it's it's been really incredible. Um, So, talk to me about the decision to move on from here then, because
1: it was was a difficult decision because I was also leaving like a full time job in two thousand and twelve. Like it was insane. (laughs) Um, I blame Amy Conroy, to be perfectly honest, because... A lot of people blame had, Amy for well, a lot of stuff. Do, to blame for a lot of stuff. Her <laughs> environmental policies are outrageous. Um, but uh, she had... Um, uh, she arrived as a sixth in the attic participant having written and performed and successfully staged um, I Heart I, I Heart I. And that was in 2010. And then in 2011, she wrote Eternal Rising of the Sun which ITI produced for her, I would have been the producer. Yeah. And we just loved working together and I just kind of thought I can either continue to have this hobby in inverted commas that yeah. I do like in the evening time and on my lunch breaks and in the morning time when I don't have a life yeah. or I just jump and make a jump for it now because otherwise I may never leave ITI because I it's a hard place to leave because... Yeah it's such a great place to work. So I just went for it. And I went and worked for Una Carvedy on a part-time basis. Um, for uh, Her organisation it was an Arts Council initiative called Arts Audiences, which is looking at how you market to get larger audiences. Um, and then I would have toured Australia with Amy and we had a really busy year that year for Hotford Theatre. So thankfully, the Alice Kinsella, Alice Slattery paid my rent for two thousand, the latter half 2012.
0: That's really quite remarkable. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, my rent was pretty cheap <laughs> at the time. Um, this was the, the upside of the recession. But uh, yeah, we had a really busy year. We went to Perth with the Turner Rising of the Sun. And then the Alice's went to the World Theatre Festival in Brisbane. We did a reading in Sydney Theatre Company of Eternal, Rising of the Sun. We went to Auckland. We went to three places in Tasmania. And then when we came back to Ireland, um, we did a national tour of both Hmm. the shows as well. So it was a really busy time and a really exciting time. But when we were on tour, Amy was writing her next play that we produced later on that year. And that was like, actually it was 2013.
0: And so with that, even as busy as it was mm. with the international stuff and the domestic touring as well, mm. were you looking at that thinking that, okay, this is a busy time at the moment, but this isn't sustainable 52 weeks of the mm. year. Um, and so I'm guessing in the way that like an actor's agent takes on 20 fellows and 20 girls, yeah. Were you at that stage going, right, okay, I'm this is great and I'm really enjoying it, and I'm working particularly well with Amy, mm. but I need to add to the portfolio as such?
1: Well, you see the thing is because there's so few producers, you get asked out to dance quite a lot. <laughs> so you you know, you you can be really selective about who you work with. And if Alwyn Fire is saying, Would you like to work with me, you go yes, the of The answer that to one. that question is and yes. It's not even on watch, you just go yes. yes, whatever you'd like. So In 2012, Alwyn and I worked on a development of a little show called River Run that was on in the Dublin Theatre Festival that year and played in the kind of a, as part of the ITI showcase, we did like a, a presentation to maybe 40 or 50 people in the space upstairs. And Alma Kelleher worked with us on that and Stephen Dodd who ended up being the designers of the final piece. Sure. And ironically enough, I was in Auckland on tour with the Alice's, where I hung out with my great friend Pork Cusack, I was telling him all about River Run, and he said, oh, "I'd love to work with you on that." So that's how he got on board. Right. All oh, sounds very uh, exotic. Um, and then Paul Fahi also came on board. So then, this kind of triumvirate of producers, um. What's Alwyn calls us the Golden Triad. Um,
0: it's a pretty formidable team.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're like the charm police. to Be fair, you know. <laughs> you must take our show, or we will. I don't know how we threatened anyone. <laughs> um, but we we love working with each other. So River Run premiered. We finished the Alice's tour in like July. The, maybe the first week, and then River Run premiered in, uh, Galway. The last two weeks of July, and I'd have to say that that presentation of River Run and Galway was probably the happiest two weeks of my entire career. It really? was such a special piece, and it was on in Druid. It's how I got to know Craig Flaherty really yes. well and Sarah Lynch really well. It's how I am really close with, oh God, the likes of Kate Ferris and was just a, such a beautiful, beautiful piece. We were all so proud of it. Mm. Um, but it was also my first ever experience at the Galway Arts Festival. And it's a magical place. If you yeah. haven't brought a show there, like, you need to do whatever you can to, to bring a show there. It's extraordinary. The people in Galway and the audiences and their attitude to work and their openness to work. Because Riverrun's not that easy. Yeah, really. sure. And on paper, it doesn't sound like it would be a huge commercial success. But... We've toured it for, I mean, we toured it up until last year. It was in the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. Wow. And hopefully it'll come out again, but it won't be me that will be producing it.
0: So let's, because there's so much to cover here, I love it. Talk to me then about joining up with Rough Magic Mm -hmm. and specifically your involvement with Seeds because in a lot of these conversations over the last years in this, we talk about... There's a lot of actors who've either gone through the Gate or have gone through what was Trinity as mm-hmm. you near know, the Lear or whatever. Um, but there's a whole other section of the industry, like those who went through that postgrad course. Yeah. But also, the gang who have come through Seeds, yeah. it's been oh, phenomenal. Yeah. So talk to me a bit about your involvement with that.
1: Well, what happened was, um, shortly after I had left ITI, um, Rough Magic had a thing called Advanced, or Weeds as we call it when we're being facetious. So it's for older theatre makers, um, ages 35 plus. And the the thought behind it was to try and kind of help people that are maybe mid-career to kind of take a step back and philosophically think about their work. And as you know, like I love to philosophically think. So I applied for it, but really all I needed was a desk and a phone and um, access to a printer. That's kind of all I wanted. So I applied for it and I was down West Cork in my parents' kitchen doing the phone interview and I hung up going, I've just talked myself out of that position because, you know, so the interview went fine until I kind of said, I just need a phone and and a, and a, and a, so Lynn phoned me a couple of days later and she said, listen, we can't offer you that because it's not, what you need, yeah, and loads of other people who are really deserving need to have it, but we can probably give you a desk and a phone, so, you know, come in and see what we can do. So and then I met Claire Robertson and Diego Fischati and Len, and that was about the end of 2013, so that had a really successful, actually no, it was before River and before Break, before all of that work. Um, but I had just done dogs with Emma Martin. That was a big success at the Fringe Festival, and they said, "Grant, like come in the first week of January, and you can have a desk." So it really helped me because I don't think that it's producing is a very lonely job. Correct. And you need you need people, even if it's just to go. Do you think that's a good idea? You need reassurance about things sometimes, and actually, the reassurance isn't necessarily why you make a decision you kind of just need to talk it out because you you, you know yourself if it's the right thing to do most of the time but it's also just good to be able to help each other with different projects and to be the no i think that image is actually much better for the poster as opposed to this one um so i kind of have been going into that building from 10 a.m to 10 p.m sometimes since like early 2013 and
0: in the way that doing the post-grad got you those practical skills in, mm. you know, accounting and budgeting and stuff, and that that kind of makes you feel a little emboldened or a little bit more secure in what you're mm. doing, is having the, either the framework of Rough Magic around you or just the, the seal of approval of Rough Magic kind of I associated really with you that it has?
1: bonafide, actually. Yeah. You know? And, you know, Lynn is a maker that I admired for many years and didn't really know at all. Uh, she would have known me through ITI and she would have known the work I produced, but weren't pals. I yeah. well, was never part of that kind of rough magic family. Um, so that kind of, for someone like that to be so generous was, uh, I, I, along with Jane and Siobhan probably, like I owe an awful lot of my career, a lot of thanks to Lynn Parker as well. And I'm one of many people. Um, I think her kind of socialist uh, outlook on how theater should be made and how that company is ran and how everyone's opinion is valid. I'm nearly getting emotional thinking about it because wow. it's really been a fantastic place to be. So what happened was I was there maybe a year or two and I was like Lynn, you know, if you need me to go, that's okay, <laughs> but I don't know where I go to. Um,
0: so, like the end of the house party, there's only yeah, like three exactly, people. Around. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, uh, but then Claire Robertson actually got a job with Belarus Free Theatre in London. Yeah. That was the end of twenty fourteen and Lynn and Diego approached me and said, Actually would you like to take over the Seeds program? So I started so then I felt it was okay for me to have a desk for a bit longer than two years. So I took that over three years ago. So that was in the middle of the seeds that had Cameron Macaulay, Zoe Ny Reardon, Cork Corkery, Um, Shane McAvoard and Danny Ford. So two sound designers, writer, set and costume, and director. So I don't produce the Seeds showcase. I really was there to kind of meet them on a weekly basis, introduce them to other makers, bring them to the theatre forum, really tough gig, like go to Berlin with them and see shows. So that happened for that year, 2015, and then towards the late part of that year, we... Um, put a call out and chose the current crop seeds so I've been kind of there with them since day one so I make them come in every Thursday morning at half eight. Nice. Yeah and we um, have gone to Paris together, we've gone to Berlin together, we've gone to a few theatre forums and they've got to meet a load of people as well from the industry who've been really generous with their time
0: and as you look at them now because as we speak they're in the middle of the showcase yeah, now which is like, like the hottest ticket in town. Oh my god, uh, it's
1: so good. I'm going for the fourth time tonight. I'm buying it. my tickets. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's um, really great. Uh,
0: so how was it for you to see their growth over the over the kind of the, the duration of the of the placement or the
1: Oh, really fantastic. I adore them. I, I mean, I thought the last crop of seeds are really fantastic but when you kind of start something halfway through I really felt like I was just helping be the guardian Sure. whereas I'm full-on soccer mom for this gang and um, like I'm called mammy by them and uh, I have loved seeing their progression actually I think that what they've done in Mr Burns is phenomenal and they've picked a really difficult piece really ambitious I mean, it's a miracle that they've pulled it off for a, a, you know, a small amount of money. Yeah. Um, and for Irish audiences, they've really given us such a treat because it would be difficult to stage that anywhere. It probably cost about three or four hundred thousand euros, you know, which is not what the Seeds <laughs> budget was. <laughs> <laughs> if only
0: it was you. Imagine
1: <coughs> Um. But yeah, I mean, like even seeing them develop their skills, how they talk about work. I mean, Thursday mornings a lot of the time it would be like, what have you seen this week? What did you think of it? So we might be arguing about, you know, I thought that was really good or I didn't, or, you know, we might end up talking about a lot of film we've seen and television we've seen. So I feel like I have my finger on the pulse with like what the kids are watching through them. So I don't know how I'm gonna cope when I'm not around them every Thursday morning. But yeah, they're amazing makers. Um, and also they've worked on so many other shows and uh, Katie McCann uh, is, at the moment, has a show on in Smock Alley that she's written, Cinderella. And, you know, she acts as well as being a producer. So she's one of those, I don't know, quadruple threats at this point.
0: <laughs> and she's pretty spectacular in all of those disciplines, yeah. it has to be yeah, said, which is she's not bad going. Really
1: um,
0: And so it is also is there a case where, through them working so closely together over that period of time, that they start bouncing ideas off each other. And so totally. suddenly if you're Lee Coffey going, well, I'm a writer, there's Katie who's a producer. Yeah. Hey, let's have the conversation.
1: Well, Lee and Dara have worked together on quite a few projects. Dara Holborn is a, is a lighting designer. So he's lit quite a few of Lee's shows since they've started working yeah. together. They wouldn't have known each other before Seeds. Um, so I think like that group and the group that Ronan was in as well, I think they, they, they probably will make work together in the future. Yeah, it's Which fantastic. Which very exciting. Imagine if it's as good as Mr. Burns. <laughs> it could be quite special. It's incredible.
0: Um, will you talk to me about your role with the Laureate for Fiction? Because that mm-hmm. is... It's something that I know next to nothing about. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to know a little bit more about it, basically. Yeah.
1: So the Arts Council um made a very wise decision towards the end of 2013 that they would celebrate... Uh, what I was talking about earlier, this kind of golden... Of Era like, of fiction writing and how we're winning Booker Awards and Impact Awards and Goldsmith Prizes and all sorts of literary uh, awards all over the world. Um, and to celebrate that by giving uh, one writer a three year tenureship as the laureate for Irish fiction. There isn't any other laureateship, uh, there's a lot of poet laureates, but fiction laureate is a very unusual thing. So in twenty fourteen, I got a job with the Arts Council to help set up. I suppose how it would be ran. So the Laureate for Irish Fiction is for a notable writer who would have, um, a number of books, uh, published internationally. Would have an international reputation as well as a national one. Who would have an interest in teaching, um, and uh, so there's quite a few actually that, um, could be the Laureate so the selection panel that was chaired by Paul Muldoon chose Anne Enright in very late 2014 and the end of January 2015 she was announced as the laureate and I've essentially been her producer I guess so I event manage all of her um public events and I'd also be I suppose the I suppose a little bit of a PA in terms of all of the requests that would come in. Sure. So I really have, have been so honoured to work with Anne, who I um I was a massive fan of beforehand, um. But she's a really generous writer. She's she has really opened up the the laureateship to involve so many writers that I've got to meet like thirty to forty Irish writers in the last three years and worked with them on various events. So we have our final event, Anne and I, together. Um, I mean, it's more important that it's Anne's <laughs> final <Mine laughs> an event than mine. <laughs> On the 21st of December down in um, which is called The Long Night of the Short Story. So that's going to be five short stories by various writers. In this case, they're all relatively kind of at the beginnings of their career. They may have had one or two books published. So there's Belinda McKeown, Colin Walsh, um, Sally Rooney and Nicole Flattery and Anne will also read a short story of hers and then that will have um little johnny singing in between each of them that sounds like so a it's fantastic the, oh, night only amazing only 5 euro but you can take it now. <laughs> um and uh, so we've done events like that each year because Anne wanted to celebrate the short story as part of her laureship she mm. also wanted to shine a light on Irish writing and translation. so the likes of colum tobin's work being translated into spanish or loads of different languages um, and also her love of libraries and readers. So we've done events in like Longford Library, Cabin Library, Wexford Library, Roddy Doyle being asked him, why do you do what? What's going on with how the diction is and that page, you know, with when you get to have a book club where they get to meet Roddy Doyle and talk about the woman who walked into doors, yeah. it's pretty special to be around that. So it's been an amazing job. And she's also delivered lectures on Antigone, which is really looking at the massive amount of unmarked graves in Ireland of babies from mother and baby homes. Yeah. Uh, Maeve Brennan has been also a lecturer that she's looked at kind of her mental illness when she was in New York. And most re- recently her lecture was on um, gender counts in terms of um, publications like the Irish Independent or the Irish Times. So how many books written by women are in those literary pages? And then how many of those are actually reviewed by women?
0: Wow, okay. Yeah.
1: Um, and, you know, shining a light on that is very brave because it's not a popular thing to do, but it's an no. important thing to do. Well,
0: absolutely. I mean, the risk is, you know, more the, the fear is that you're biting the hand that feeds you. Yeah. But as you say, it's the right thing to do.
1: Yeah. So she's been, you know, I mean, thankfully, Thankfully, I now get to leave that job and, and um, have Anne Enright as a pal. Uh, she's a really amazing brain. I can, when I introduce her to people when we're working on events, and if we bring like John Croden is going to be designing the lights for The Long Night, The Short Story, and Jose Miguel Jimenez is going to design some a- beautiful AV to go like with it. Um, And I can, you know, when we're having meetings, you know, because her, her mind works so quickly, I can see people go, oh, this woman is amazing. And I get to work with that all the time. That's so it's so been cool. an honour to work with
0: her. Talk to me then about what's in the future because mm-hmm. there's an exciting new gig on the yeah. horizon.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose it's kind of sad in one way because I have to stop working with the likes of uh, Emma Martin and Dylan Ty and Amy Conroy and Alwyn Fiery and loads of people whose names I'm going to forget now, so I'm going to stop there. <laughs> but all the amazing artists that I got to work work with on like 21 shows since 2009 it's Yosa. been really busy that's incredible years um and I have to leave my producing hat uh my independent producing hat and put on the big house hat and move to the abbey so it was with a very heavy heart actually um I, I applied for the job but it's my dream job so I kind of had to apply for it um so yeah I start as a uh, Head of producing new work development in the, on the 2nd of January uh, for the National Theatre. So that's a thrill. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's very exciting.
0: So talk to me then about how the nature of how it's going to work, because you're going to be there with Sarah.
1: Yeah, which is really wonderful. Um, the Cagney to my Lacey or the Lacey to my Cagney, <laughs> I'm not sure which is which. Um, how it'll work really is that the organisation has gone from doing... Uh, I suppose between 12 and 15. I don't know the exact amount of projects, say maybe four years ago per year, to in the coming year, maybe up to 37 shows when it goes to uh, in-house productions, co-presentations, co-productions, straight up presentations. Um, So the amount of work is is gathering apace and uh, Neil and Graham as you know came from the National Theatre of Scotland where there was a producing team so they're looking at that model of how uh, national theatre would work so we will be I mean our titles are kind of different Sarah's programme development and mine is new work development and that's probably because Sarah's had such a keen eye on Druid and how a company should work in that overall arc whereas I've been kind of this mongrel that works on different kind of projects, different kind of stages and with different kinds of artists. So it kind of makes sense because that's the Abbey, you need to be nimble in that way. But also it needs to have that overall vision of how, how systems and structures work. So I think the combination of both of us and our skills would really complement each other. Yeah. And we also love each other and get on with each other really well. Which is a big help. Yeah, yeah. And I guess
0: I, I suppose in an ideal world, then you've got two incredibly competent people with these complementary skill sets. Mm. The hope then being that when you bring them together, it's even greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Exactly. Um, which is really exciting for it's our national really,
1: theatre. Yeah, yeah. It's a thrill. It's a real thrill, and it's it's kind of funny because I mean, obviously, I worked in that building. Uh, quite a long time ago, 16 years ago now, um, so it's strange being back, I keep getting lost when I'm in and out at the moment, um, because I was never really backstage or anything like that, I was just very much in the annex and out the door, um, and obviously hanging out would fall apart at the stage door. Um, so the building in loads of ways has changed so much since two thousand and one. But then there's other parts, of the, there's still, you know, Marie Delaney, amazing Marie Delaney is still there. So there's kind of really brilliant aspects of it that are the same.
0: It's fantastic, I'm mm. really excited about it and I'm delighted for you. Thank that, you, For someone who Me has too. been so awesome for so long oh. that you now get that platform to, yeah, to uh, work your magic from. Jen, that is fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in. That was an absolute pleasure.
1: Thanks, Sango.
0: So there you have it, the great Jen Coppinger. That really was one of my favourite chats of either series so far. A really inspiring conversation and so great to hear her talk about all these fantastic, ongoing, artistic collaborations with so many incredible women. It's just really encouraging and I can't wait to see what happens when Jen and Sarah start working their magic at the Abbey. Something tells me we're in for something really, really special for many years to come. And so that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of theatrical awesomeness around the country. So at the Abbey Theatre we have Let the Right One In and the brilliant They Called Her Vivaldi. At the Gate Theatre the Red Shoes continues. At the Gaiety Theatre it is of course the Panto and that's Rapunzel. At the Board Gosh, the Sound of Music is there starring the brilliant Lucy O'Byrne. Theatre Upstairs has Two of Clubs by Jessica Lean and there's a post-show discussion there tomorrow Saturday after the matinee and I will be part of that post-show panel. And then the Viking in Clontarf has A Christmas Carol. Bang Bang which I'm hearing incredible things about is at Bewley's, but it is selling heavily. So if you're thinking of going book and book soon, um, at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, they have A Night Before Christmas featuring that all star cast of Owen Rowe, Michelle Forbes, Cathy Belton, Phelan Drew, Lisa Lam, and Cormac DeBara. Incredible. Uh, at Smock Alley, The Grim Tale of Cinderella featuring Danny Gallaghan and Ash O'Mara continues, as does Disco Pigs and Sucking Dublin. At the Project Arts Centre, they have Project Pop-Up, which seems to be an incredible night of a mix of little mini tastes of brilliant theatre stuff and I think a free beer as well, so that's well worth checking out. And then as we go around the country, the Everyman in Cork has Beauty and the Beast. Uh, At the Lime Tree in Limerick, they have Scrooge and Up North. At the Lyric Belfast, they have What the Reindeer Saw and Beauty and the Beast. So, that's us. That's episode six in the books. We will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers, But in the meantime, this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Ogh McAnally, I'm Angus Ogh McAnally. We'll see you next week.